Yes. Is Friday any different for you in real terms? Yeah, we don't work for two days. Okay. After, <laughs> after Friday. And we're still petitioning everyone to be every place closed uh, except for school so that our kids can still be in school. But we're all out off work on Monday. That is the thing, though. <laughs> when you're a parent, it's not really like a day off. Yeah, this is what I'm thinking. You just yeah. got other stuff to do. It would be nice to have days, two days off during the week. That would yeah. be awesome. And then, yeah. And then our kids would go to school on Saturday and Sunday as well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> all right. Well, we got some uh, headlines for you this morning. We're not live yet, though. Oh, I, I thought you said you were live just now. You're always confusing me. I'm live. Yeah, you're live. <laughs> you're live. Yes, no, we've got live. Ace of Base, all that she wants on yes. right now. There oh we go. Take that, Facebook. Ugh. Okay. Yes. A little sample. A little sample. Well, we're going to go live in about uh, 15 seconds. So here we go. T minus nice. 14. Stand by. Good morning, everybody. Let me send out my notifications and what's up. So here we go. T minus 14. Big news. I have some important news for you. Interesting news. It's Blake and Darren's Spilling the Tea with Sandy. Ah! K-Man's top news headlines of the day from CMR. Good morning, Sandy. How are you? Morning, Blake and Aaron. How Happy are you? Friday to you Thank and you. to all of your viewers Absolutely. and our listeners. Awesome. So what have we got in he headlines this morning? Got a couple of things going on. Um, let's start with um, the South Sound attacker has been charged and Ooh. he appeared in court. Uh, he will appear, reappear. He's been given bail and he will reappear again on March the 1st to answer to the charges um, against him of assault ABH. So you guys might remember this was last month. A uh, female jogger was just minding her own business and jogging, mm -hmm. getting some exercise. It was in the morning, right? Yeah. yeah early in the morning on a Sunday. And this guy just literally pounced on her. We know who this is? Um, his name is, we do have a photo and everything of him. You know, CMR gets all the sus. His mm -hmm. name, it's a very unusual name. It's, um, let me tell you how it's pronounced. Hold on one second here. And how did he actually get uh, caught? Um, well, there was CCTV footage in the area because he was around for quite some time. I see. And then, um, yeah, so I think they went very, very quickly to other eyewitnesses and CCTV footage. So his name is Rupert Hodgson Ingram, 26 years old, mm. from Nicaragua. So, okay, so he's going to get charged, deported, or? He's been charged. Now he has to go through the process. Um, he, okay. may plead, he may plead not guilty. And um, if that's the case, then it could be a trial. And a year from now, <laughs> we'll know what happens. So, trial, trial can take a while. So, yeah, that's, but okay. And so now he's released. He's out. Is he on house arrest? Is he told? He's on bail. So he's yeah. got a um, monitor. Okay, he's um, got a monitor. That's yeah. what I'm questioning like he has a monitor he you can't tamper with it no, they're holding his passport no. i would assume that's hopefully so yeah they probably confiscated his passport as well for sure yeah mm -hmm. yeah they do that oh do they mm -hmm. yeah yeah well, i think you can get it back if someone signs for you though. that's part of the bill the bail uh, release um is you have to leave it in you yeah. have to uh, give up your passport mm -hmm. that's con condition that's of good. bail I, yeah. yeah i was gonna say that's like yeah <laughs> oh yeah, yeah it's, it's not normally voluntary <laughs> right it's, uh, yeah so, um, in other court-related news, um, television personality Elizabeth Chambers 
and the Ritz-Carlton Grand Cayman have actually paid an undisclosed fine after Chambers was charged for working at a hotel function without a work permit. Ooh. So this oh, wow. is interesting. Yes. Um, That's a lot of things. I, so yeah. was she like being paid then? And, and somebody was like, blew the whistle? Yeah. Is that kind of... Does she, is she not on a permit? Yeah, I was gonna say what like mate what does her permit? Apparently, um, she's not on a permit with them, so she's been charged right. with one count of engaging in illegal occupation without a work permit. Mm. Um, mm. and so the Ritz Carlton apparently she hosted some event called Sweets and Cocktails uh, back in March of last year. Yeah, I saw and it. Ritz, sorry, I saw that promoted. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the Ritz said that they thought that, um, you know, she was an independent contractor, which I'm not sure how they thought that, but. Well, she's uh, done a lot of like charity things, right? See, but that's how you can. I mean, you could yeah. do this stuff as long as you give the money to charity and don't make it monetize. Like right. if you don't make it for yourself, you can donate the money to charity, mm -hmm. which that would be the way loophole out of, you know, but hosting it, but not getting paid. Cause well, like, right. you're not well, what they did was. They actually provided her with a discounted rate to stay at the hotel. So it can be no form of compensation. Oh no, that's compensation still. Yeah, yeah. no, it's gonna be it's gotta be like, yeah, money, everything has to go to charity. Discounted rate like free? <laughs> Probably. Yeah, or, 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 yeah. yeah, I think I think huh. she's been staying there for a minute. Um so anyway, uh, you know, immigration um handle that situation. So just you know, a reminder, that doesn't matter. It's too bad because that 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 kind of thing happens all the time. Mm -hmm. And I think it's only because she's high profile and the Ritz is high profile that somebody like blew the the whistle, right? Um, well, you know what? I, I think, know people who do that all the time. Well, they shouldn't be. And I think no, once no. it's brought to the attention of works that people will get in trouble. I think mm -hmm. a lot of people don't get in trouble because it just kind of goes under the radar. And what works doesn't know, works doesn't know. But as soon as they're aware of a situation, I think they will pursue it regardless of who you are. Hmm. And we have a lot of local <clears throat> promoters um, who come in from Jamaica, from Honduras, from Miami, who you know think that they can just come in and perform and not go through the rigorous. Um, and it's not really all that rigorous, right? You just got to file some paperwork. But they don't want to go through the immigration process at all. They don't want to pay any fees. They just think they can show up. And, you know, we even have a lot of... Um, these guys who are moonlighting as uh, performers. And I think you'll remember this couple, um, I guess that was in January as well, where the, the young fellow there got stabbed at a local nightclub. And the CMEA, the Cayman Islands Music and Entertainment Association said, hold on a second, you guys need to remember that you're not supposed to be out here DJing and performing, um, you know, without the relevant license. And you have to have a work permit. You can't be here as a construction worker and DJing at the local bar. <laughs> right. It just, doesn't, it just doesn't work. I mean, you can't if you do like a shared permit or something like that. But. Yeah, but you have to. Yeah, but you have to do the paperwork. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, listen. And I it's not been, an easy process. We would have started our, our show how how much? Eight months. Yeah, eight months. It was for my PR variation. We waited, we waited to, yeah. for it to be, uh, you know, yeah. legally done. Until they said, okay, go. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so, so, yeah, you got you to gotta do what the law says. Um Anyway, good luck to her. She'll be fine, I'm sure. I'm sure the fine is probably nothing for either party. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, you're, it's making news. It's newsworthy definitely because of who the parties are. Yeah, I mean, so. just, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I think that it's just a matter of just sorting out the paperwork and 
and not because you don't really want to get into a situation where all of a sudden they're you're asked to leave. Yeah. And hey, be smart, pay cash under the table. So after uh midnight last I mean, night, come on. <laughs> that's how I that's how I get paid in my, in my part-time job is yeah. uh I don't know what I would I, I didn't fall through with that joke. Mm. After midnight, we dropped a story that um the Cayman Islands Port Authority has lost their deputy director. This comes five months after losing their um, director. Both have resigned. What's happening over there? Um, <laughs> we're going to talk about it a little bit, but uh, I don't know. I mean, he's been there for 26 years. Maybe he just wanted to do something different. And, uh, you know. Are they related? Do you think they're related? Or is there is it just coincidence that two people have resigned in the last five months? I don't think there are any coincidences. Okay. Yeah, so there's there's something going on there. Mm. Um, now we might have to flush it out a little bit on the cool hard truth, but <laughs> we'll we'll have a discussion on it. But yes, I mean there's you know there's no specific reason why he's leaving exactly. The director is leaving because he has essentially said to people at the board that there are members of the board who have remained as members of the board, and he cannot see himself continuing to work with them in a professional capacity. I see. Mm. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. Remember the nuns? You guys might remember the story. This was a couple of years ago, back in, I think, 2018, we reported this. A mm -hmm. few nuns were caught stealing money from um, their school in order to fund their gambling habit. <laughs> no. Uh, <I> <laughs> remember that. Was that here? No, 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 no. Oh. Thank God, no. So this is back yeah, in 2018. Yeah, no. um, Mary Margaret Kruber, hmm. 80 years old admitted to stealing over $800,000 in school funds for gambling trips and personal expenses for over 10 <laughs> years. Wow. Ooh, she was on a roll. Well, she had some vice. Uh, so she ran the school for almost 30 years, and uh, apparently she enjoyed going to the casino. <laughs> and what did she play? What did she play? It's got to be slots. Everyone over 70 She's going to stand out, you know. I, she probably didn't wear the nun outfit. I was going to say, if she I was going to say, the, like, uh, who's the nun that keeps coming in every every weekend? That's called. Uh, I mean, yeah, she's she dropped like a hundred grand tonight on the craps table. Yeah, that she probably wasn't uh, that obvious. But anyway, um, she pleaded guilty July of last year. This mm -hmm. is in, at Torrance, California, St. James Catholic School, no less. And so now she's going to jail. Kind of sad, but <laughs> the habit, yeah. what it's called. The, the nun outfit, the habit. The habit, yes. The yeah. habit, yes. Yeah. Um, for how long? 12 months. Not too long. Oh, no, okay. But for an 80-year-old, that's, that's still... For 800 grand, I might do 12 months. I'd rather be in prison than a nunnery. Damien has commented, nuns gone wild. You kind of like being in prison? That's the point. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's, um... Wild, yeah. Less, <laughs> less judgy, maybe? Um... Some tragic news, you know, earlier this week on Tuesday, we lost um, a young lady, a teenager, to suicide. And, um, of course, the entire community, I think, has felt this. It's been, you know, quite a shock. And her mom actually posted last yesterday um, a heartfelt comment on social media on her Facebook page where essentially she was thanking everyone for their outpouring of um, support and love and just, you know, positivity uh, she shared that obviously this is the most difficult thing. She doesn't even know how to really, um, you know, it's the most difficult thing that any parent could could potentially 
have to go through. Mm -hmm. And um, she's also shared, she shared a picture of her beautiful daughter and said that um, they're going to honor her memory by sharing her story to shed light on her journey. And, you know, they want people to understand certain things about battling trauma and mental illness. And so I think a lot is definitely going to come out of this. And they were just thanking everyone for their amazing outpouring of love and support. Mm. Just so, Rhonda, Rhonda, right? Sorry? Rhonda Kelly, right? Rhonda, yeah. So Rhonda yeah. Kelly and uh, Kurt Kelly. You're sad, yeah. <clears throat> lost their daughter, Addie. So very, very sad. Mm. Um, Madison was, was her daughter, right? Madison? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Madison, yeah. So I think, you know, I think a lot of us, um, when we heard this, I think after you, you don't get over the shock, but you let the shock set in for a moment. I think every single parent was just, you know, hugging and squeezing um, their kids a little bit harder that day because you just never know. Yeah. So here on CMR, we're actually going to be running a series of mental health um, discussions mm -hmm. with professionals from all over uh, the world. Uh, Kevin Watler is going to be working and putting this together for us. Uh, we hope to launch it um, in March and it'll be an evening segment and um, just trying to help people, you know, cope with whatever it is that they're going through. We know Miss USA recently committed suicide as well. And that's been very, very topical. And a lot of people have been talking about it because you mm -hmm. look at people who are extremely functional. I mean, Miss USA was like a perfectionist. She was beautiful. She had everything going for her, had just turned 30, um, you know, Isn't that the standard MO that everyone says? They, you know, that's the it's thing. It's the this quiet is, ones you got to worry about. This is why mental health is so important. And a lot of people have swept it under the rug for far too long. So people keep sweeping it under the rug, under the rug, under the rug. Instead yeah, because they think it's taboo. I don't want to yeah. talk about it. But And, and so exactly. the more that, that people come out and they actually, you Shed know. Shed light on it. Yeah, yeah. They, and say that, okay, you're not alone. Don't, you know, if you have these these feelings, here are people mm -hmm. to talk to. And, you know, yeah, it's, it yeah. needs to be. It needs to be brought up in a way to, because like, I don't want my kids to, you know, be brought up the same way where it's like, oh, just get over it yourself, you know? Yeah. It's yeah. like, it shouldn't, you don't want them to feel that way and be in the exactly. situation where, unfortunately, a lot of parents have to deal with. Yeah. And, you know, you want to, you want, you know, as a, as a child or a kid, you want to feel like you're being heard. Yes. Right. Absolutely. Um, I, I think, I think it's important we, we throw out the, um, the, the number for the suicide prevention hotline. Uh, it's 1-800-273-8255. And you can also find find that online as well, mm -hmm. which is open 24-7 and it's toll free. So yeah. even from the Cayman Islands. And that's a sad story. Yeah. Yeah. Very sad. But like, like you guys have said, you know, we know that we have to talk about it. It's not something that we can um, continue to hide behind closed doors. I mean, we need to normalize the discussion. And uh, Christy, the young lady, Miss USA, ironically enough, she had spoken about mental health in mm -hmm. the past and how she was, you know, um, trying to stay centered and deal with some of her own issues, but she was still hiding the fact that she was actually suffering from what they call high functioning depression. And it was only recently that she disclosed that to her mom. Wow. Um, so... Yeah, a mm -hmm. lot of people. Um, depression doesn't look like, I think, what a lot of us in our head think it is, especially if it's not something you have firsthand experience with. So I think also, you know, knowing that you may not see any signs, but everybody needs to be having mental health and mental wellness checks is really, really important. Yep. Yeah. All right, Sandy. Well, thanks for those Thank uh, stories this morning. So
and uh, have a good weekend. We'll catch you on Monday morning. Awesome. Have a good weekend. All right, folks. So we will definitely um, be doing that. Uh, again, Kevin has been good old Kevin. He's been tasked <laughs> with that. Um, I message him and he's like, yes, Sandy. Kevin never says no. Um, so he's going to be putting some professionals together so that we can have some meaningful discussions uh, around mental health, around suicide prevention and so on. So, um, you know, it's, it's easy for us to um, sit here and talk about it, especially when we have uh, no experience with it. Like if you've never experienced trauma or um, depression or, you know, any of these things that you struggle with, um, that people do struggle with, then you can't really speak on it. Like you're speaking on it, looking from the in, outside in. You don't have a real perspective of what that's all about. And I think it is shocking for a lot of us to think that someone could be completely high functioning. Like they, they hold on a job, they do the job to perfection. Um, you know, they, there's no, there's no signs. I mean, even this young lady, um, Kirsty, her publicist was saying that, uh, you know, her publicist and friend was saying that there were no signs. She's like, I didn't see even because, you know, sometimes you think, okay, after something happens, you go back and you think about a moment and you say, yeah, there's a little bit of a sign there. There's this, there's that. She said she, she has gone over so many, you know, conversations in her head and there was just absolutely nothing that uh, made her think, you know, um, she needs help or she's in trouble because she was just putting on this face and hiding it um, from pretty much everybody in the world. And it wasn't long before she committed suicide that she actually told her mom that she suffers from high functioning depression. And now there's a whole conversation about what does that even mean? Because to be honest, even myself, I mean, I know there's this general term of high functioning, like you have people who are high functioning, autistic and other things, right? So in other words, it would be very, very difficult for you to even know that the person is autistic um, because they do function as a relatively normal person. And so when I heard the term high functioning depression, I mean, I knew what it was, um, but then I thought, I don't know what it is, if that makes any sense. So from a technical perspective, <clears throat> I know what the, the definition of high functioning means. So you put it together, high functioning depression. But then I think depression, that's not, what is that? That doesn't even make any sense to me. And then you start to educate yourself, which I've been trying to do. And you see that on the outside, people look perfectly fine. For some people, and, and I'm not saying that this is the case for the local young lady at, at all, because I do know that there were some signs there and her family was, you know, getting her help and they were dealing with that situation. But, you know, how, how do you help someone when there are no signs, when you don't even know? And so I think that's why we need to normalize the conversation around mental health and wellness so that people feel comfortable enough to say, I have high functioning depression. What does that mean? You know, explain to people what that means. Um, you know, on this program, we've spoken to a few people who have come on and who have said that, you know, they have suffered 
with bipolarism. Uh, Quincy has talked about his mental health journey, his drug addiction, very, very openly. We've had him on the program. We've talked with King, and I do want to have King on the program again to share more of his journey with us because I feel like King is, is on a trans transformative path <clears throat> in his life. Um, you know, he's he basically had to leave the Cayman Islands for his own mental well-being. And as much as I hated to see King go, because I really felt like, you know, so many of the struggles that he was having is indicative of a lot of our young people here. And I'm like, stay and fight, stay and fight. And he was like, Sandy, I can't. And I had to respect that not everybody can stay and fight. Not everybody has that ability to stay and fight in this environment, particularly, right? So I had to respect that for his, his own sanity, that he knew what was best for him in that moment. But, you know, he's come on the program and we're going to have King on again in case you've missed his story. Because uh, I think, you know, we need to hear as many of these stories as possible. We need to normalize the conversation. There is nothing wrong with talking about um, the fact that you're depressed. So someone has just messaged and said, I know I'm feeling it too. I feel like I've been depressed for a while, but I keep a stiff lip. Depression can show in other ways other than sadness. A lot of teachers are feeling it too, especially at Clifton Hunter. So when you hear something like that, Cayman Islands government, um, you know, you need to make sure that your teachers are having mental health checks. The children have access to, um, you know, information and resources. We've got the toll-free number. That's great. I'm glad to hear it's finally 24-7 because for a while there, it's like, oh, it's open 9 to 5. And I'm thinking people are not depressed 9 to 5. They don't have suicide suicidal thoughts 9 to 5. Like that just didn't make any sense. So it's good to know that we've got a, um, a, a suicide prevention number that is 24-7. Is that answered locally or overseas? I don't even know the details, but we're going to get some of the information. Um, Miss Romelia says, have a blessed day in the Lord. Lord, our young people need your help. Let me also say this about religion and mental health, because I know this is something that our people struggle with a lot, right? Being the Christian society that we are, and I put that in very loose quotes because you guys know how I feel about the practice of Christianity, because people are living this very duplicitous life where they're like, oh, I'm a Christian, but yet they're doing everything that is very unchristian like Um, I think that we also roll up um, our understanding of mental health into Christianity when we probably need to separate the two. So it's great to say that people need God and they need the Lord and that's going to fix their problems. But in real terms, they need practical life skills to be able to get through their issues. Um, I'm not saying that you can't believe that the Lord is going to fix you, but sometimes what you need is a therapist and medication. Right. So going to church isn't the answer for everybody. Going to church isn't going to fix all your problems. Um, I was listening last night. And I hope that you guys had an opportunity to listen to the program last night being uh, put on by Miss um, Carolina Ferreira and that entire group of wonderful um, guest speakers who were talking about child sexual abuse. And I found it interesting and I was so glad that they. Um, decided to, you know, cover this component of it. They were talking about sexuality, um, 
not even sexuality, but talking about child abuse, child sexual abuse, as it relates to religion and how it's tied in with misgivings about homosexuality and all this other stuff. And it is so incredibly interesting that, you know, we have certain belief systems that are driven by our religious beliefs. And so there are things that, you know, people believe, oh, you can go to church and you can have the devil. Like if, if you're depressed or if you're bipolar, um, oh, it's the devil and you can have the devil, um, you know, driven out of you by prayer um, and that sort of thing. And <laughs> it's the same thing with the whole child abuse and sexual um, conversation, right? Like we see nothing wrong with our young boys having sex at an early age and we want to make sure that they are men because we're so afraid of homosexuality. We're so afraid of, you know, and I, I brought this up recently in relation to this other case that I was watching with this young lady who alleged that her father had sexually molested her for a number of years and had raped her. And the thing that stuck out to me is he was here saying that he was concerned that she was invited to a stayover, a sleepover, and because they were going to be hugging, he doesn't want his daughter to be a lesbian. And then her caretaker, who's an elderly um, Caymanian woman, again, comes on the stand and she's talking about, um, you know, oh, yes, I've had a talk with her about the, the bees and the birds. But that conversation centered around um, same sex, like that type of sexuality. And I'm like, what, what, what's wrong with this? Because apparently that's more important than anything else. And so I think religion has a way of muddling a lot of these issues. And maybe we need to separate the two, right? So young people need help. Do they need people forcing religious beliefs on them? Like, oh, if you commit suicide, you're going to go to hell. Your soul is going to burn in hell. Because this is what the Christianity teaches you. And this is what people here believe. And I've heard people saying this. No, if you kill yourself, you're going to go to hell. And then I'm like, the conversation around it really has um, some serious implications for me. So I think we need to, it's, it's fine, pray all you want. But I think putting this narrative out there on young people in particular, that all they need is the Lord to solve their problems, is um, a narrative that will continue to ensure that we have our young people dying at their own hands. We need more than that. People are bipolar. Somebody just mentioned that the spectrum of mental health issues um, is on the rise, schizophrenia, bipolarism. There's a whole list of things I'm sure that people are being diagnosed with, or a lot of times they're not even being diagnosed with. And I don't know about you guys, but you know, how many of you have ever been to a therapist or seen a mental health profession, professional? There's a stigma attached to that even. Oh, what are you going to a therapist for? I watch these guys, uh, these American guys called um, The Breakfast Club. And this guy's Charlemagne. He calls himself Charlemagne the God. That's his like alter ego. And Charlemagne says everybody should be in therapy. Everybody should be going to therapy. Like that's how you need to normalize it. There's nothing wrong with you if you're going to therapy. And so sometimes, you know, you're going to therapy um, just to talk things out. It's not that you have a specific issue uh, that you need to be addressing. And, but, you know, there's sometimes that you don't even know that you have an issue until you start talking about it. 
you know, and you see things like I, I make a lot of observations on social media sometimes with even myself and other people. And I think this person needs a therapist. You know, there's a young lady who has, and again, this goes back to my point about religion and how religion can really kind of muddle the water, right? Um, she has turned turned a, a leaf in life. Okay, so I'm not gonna be out there fornicating anymore and doing this and doing that and fooling with people's husbands. And she's done a 180. So her 180 is I have to be a Christian and I have to now be like, you know, God has said, this is what I need to do. And sometimes I watch the post and I see the, the struggles and the conversations, I guess, that she's having in her head. And it's so interesting how she sees the world now that she has turned into Christian. Um, like, oh, you know, I wanted to wear this outfit, but oh, the Lord said, and it, it's, it's such a, it's such an interesting, um, transformation, first of all, but it's also interesting to see how people have been taught by society that religion has certain expectations of you, that God has certain expectations of you. And, you know, all of a sudden putting on a dress causes you so much stress that you have to make it into a big social media post about how you had this internal dialogue with yourself and this internal fight with yourself about whether or not you should put this on. And every everything becomes hyper, um, I don't even know what the word I'm looking for, but everything becomes like a hyper issue. You know what I mean? You lose your debit card. All of a sudden it's like, Oh, I lost my debit card. And I had to pray to God to help me find my debit card. I'm like, surely God should be reserved for more important things in life. Like, I don't know. But it's just this, now it's this fascination, this hyper fascination with religion and God. And God is going to tell me, Sandy, right now you need to have a sip of water. And if I don't have a sip of water... And, you know, I start to get dizzy, you know, God told me to have a sip of water and I didn't do it. And I didn't listen to him. And I, and it's like, you, you put yourself into this frenzy of now trying to please God. You haven't done it your entire life, which is fine. But now you want to please God and you go to like an extreme with it. And it's like the pressure that people put themselves under to conform to certain expectations and stuff as well. And what they think um, God wants of them or religion wants of them. And, and then what's more interesting is you can live your life as a very, uh, pious Christian. That's your business. You can do that. But why the need to tell everybody in the world that is your every, every waking moment, that's your every thought, like the, the obsession just is normal. And it really made me think again about this whole thing about mental health. Right. Because I look at these posts and I think. This doesn't this doesn't come across to me as someone who's dealing well with their overall mental health. You know how you process your surroundings in the world. It. I don't know, like everybody needs therapy. Everybody should be in therapy. I don't care what how perfect you think your life is, whatever. Everybody needs somebody to be able to talk to. And you don't necessarily find that people like your aunt or your grandmother, all these people are qualified. You need like a professional who can just listen to you 
and perhaps give you some guidance and some advice. So Marshall says, I feel like some people, um, I don't come out and talk about it um, because they would look down on as if something is wrong with them. People need to know that it's okay to not be okay. That is the narrative. Thank you, Marshall. That's exactly the narrative that we need to put out there. But then I think about that. When you say it's okay to not be okay, what is okay? Everybody has a different definition of what okay is. So I don't think that you need to put yourself in a box. If you're a circular person, don't try to put yourself in a square box to please other people in your society and in your community. And I'm very, very aware of how K-Man can be so stifling because we are such a small community. So people do judge you everywhere in the world. But being judged in a small island like this where everybody's talking and gossiping, da da da, da um, it's a very different situation than if you were in California. You know, in California, you can live next door to people. Nobody's in your business and nobody's judging you. And, you know, it, it's it's easier to um, to live a life with your decisions not being under a microscope. And um, here in this community, that's just not how small island life is, unfortunately, or small town life, right? So I think that that adds... A level of of complexity to the situation as well. But what's the definition of okay? Everybody is so different. You know, I think we need to even maybe change that conversation. Um, like it's just okay. It's okay to be you. Like wh whoever you are, whoever you are. Um, if you're not harming and hurting other people, you know. I don't know. It's just it's just very, very challenging, I find. Good morning, Diamond Princess. Luisa's mental health is um, a visible, is visible to the person who's dealing with it, but to the rest of us, it's invisible. Well, sometimes there are clear signs that things are wrong and there are people who are reaching out for help. Yesterday, I got some information that I need to put together today. Um, it's going to be in the form of a story, but apparently there is a school here in the Cayman Islands where children are self-harming. And I'm shocked by this, but, you know, someone has finally had enough and they have said, Sandy, here's what's going on. For months, children have been self-harming at the school and nothing effective is being done about it. The school administrators are not prepared to help these kids. And so I'm looking at this going, what on earth? And now parents and others are afraid because they've seen one young lady who was unable to cope and ended up deciding to take her life. Um, such a sweet person, sweet soul. And now they're like, if other kids are, if my kids are self-harming or other kids at, at a school, and it's not, it's not related to this young lady in any way because it's not even the same school. I want to be very clear about this, right? But if, if they notice that kids are self-harming, the school's aware about it, the school's sweeping it under the rug. What if my kid's next? You know, this is the fear. Like every parent right now, I think, is in a little bit of hyper alert that they're concerned um, about their children. So I think that we need to, first of all, know how to have a conversation with our children at all ages, um, how to listen attentively to our children, because most of us tend to listen at a very superficial level. What is What does attentive listening mean and how do you do that? Particularly with children at, at different ages, 
So I had a mom yesterday share with me that, you know, her daughter is kind of getting into those pre, what they call the tween years, preteen, you know, 10, 11, before you get into 13. And already she's starting to change. And the change is a real thing, folks. Uh, both boys and girls go through hormonal changes. So as adults, we can't judge them by our book and our standard of how they should be, right? So they're going through growing pains, hormonal changes. Everybody's different. They're going through personality changes. And so you can't even judge your children based on you know, your personality, because your child might not have your personality, to be quite frank and honest. Um, they could be different. So I think we need to educate ourselves and how to just be there uh, for our children, how to be attentive listeners and how to accept our children for who they are. You know, I'm always seeing parents wanting to, yes, we, we have to be disciplinarians up to a point and we want our children to be good, productive citizens, right? But the pressure to conform into something that your parents want you to be, whether that's like, you know, they want you to go to school and to study certain things or, you know, you've got an artistic passion about you and everybody's like, no, 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 no. You should be a lawyer. You should be a doctor. You should be like, there's so much pressure, I feel like, on uh, people in general, but specifically in our young people. And of course, COVID has not helped the situation at all. COVID has been very, very difficult for a lot of people. The isolation of COVID, the lockdown, the interruption in what we know as a normal way of living around the world has been interrupted. In the real pandemic, uh, someone, you know, I've been having this conversation with a number of people that the real pandemic has been a mental health one. Yes, every, listen, the world is on the same boat, but mental health is all the way at the top of the list. And it is connected to everything, the finances of what is happening around the world. Yesterday, I think it was the Washington Post had uh, an article up about how um, inflation, um, was it the Economist or the Washington Post? Hold on. I'll soon tell you, tell you up by 7.9% or something, right? The increase in goods and everything is up considerably. Um, let me see if I can find this article. This was yesterday. I'm not sure if it was a. The New York Times. Um, but, you know, these economic stresses uh, are having a real impact on um, people around the world. People are feeling the stress. And not only are people feeling the stress, but like parents, but that trickles down to their children because no matter how much you try to protect your children from, like, I don't want them to know that I'm struggling, your children have a really good sense of when something is wrong. When you're struggling, maybe you're struggling with mental health issues and that impacts your kids. Or, you know, you're struggling with financial issues and that impacts your kids as well. So there's, there's a lot uh, that is happening, folks, around us. Uh, that can add and increase our stress levels. How are we dealing with it? You know, during the pandemic, when we were in absolute lockdown, I find like a lot of people, the only thing that they could do was to get out there and start exercising. And exercise is a natural uh, aphrodisiac and it can help 
um, with certain things. And there was a lot of people who were resorting to that, which I think is a good thing. But after they got back into the doldrum of, okay, you got to go back to work and you got to do somewhat of a normal routine, um, it became, you know, much, much more challenging, but it is, it is difficult to not be able to even jump on a plane and travel. I'm telling you, even myself, the ability to go to Miami, even for a day, sometimes I just take a one day trip. It's business, but the change of scenery, being able to drive on the other side of the road, see something different, go to my favorite restaurants, treat myself to like a little lunch in between running errands. You know, a lot of times when I go to Miami, I squeeze in a massage or something just fun. Even if I'm just there for a day, I'll, I'll book in advance. Listen, I got an hour. I'm going to take an hour for myself. Let me just relax and get a massage in. Let me go see my acupuncturist in Miami. You know, even something as simple as that, because it sounds really, really simple, has an immense impact on your mental health. Those of you who haven't been able to travel for the past two plus years now, or going into two years, I think it's two years, um, have probably found that to be very stressful and very, very difficult. Miss Moya says, honestly, the issue is because we've been taught that to be tight-lipped from childhood, people may see a therapist but cannot get the help they need as they're not able to open up and talk to release and work through the trauma. That's very, very interesting, um, Moya, that you should say that because, you know, you're pointing out that even if someone goes to a therapist, um, maybe the therapy is not as effective because they're not just letting loose and letting go. And um, I think that, you know, we probably could all do with, with being a little bit more forthcoming about our flaws and stuff. Nobody's perfect. I mean... My God, you know, I don't know who told us that we need to live up to this image. It's like trying to keep up with the Joneses. Well, I don't I don't give a damn what the Joneses are doing. That has no impact on me. And I think that we are sometimes um, not addressing our own issues because of it. I don't know how, the other thing is the cost of therapy, a lot of people said to me, is astronomical in this island. Like people can't even afford therapy. And unfortunately, insurance companies do not... Um, prioritize therapy sessions. Like you get a few, if you have a good plan for the year and then that's it. And it's like, how can you tell someone that you only need 10 therapy sessions for the year? And then your insurance isn't going to cover anymore. I mean, something, and I, and I know how insurance works and I know it's unrealistic, but there has to be access to, there has to be better access to mental health professionals. Remember I was telling you guys uh, some months back that in the US, they're actually offering therapy in the drugstore. Like you can just pop in and have a therapy session. In fact, let me see if I can find this for you. Um, so this was something I was listening to in NPR. Um, and basically they were saying that it was so difficult for for people to get an appointment even with a therapist because they're like overbooked and you know here's this was april of last year actually so let me see if i can find this i want you guys to listen to this because this is super super interesting of a story about how you can be creative about how you offer solutions to mental health so have a listen to this because access 
to a therapist can be very, very challenging. Support for NPR comes from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people. Imagine you walk into the pharmacy and you see this. Aspirin in aisle two, shampoo in aisle three, and therapy in aisle four. CVS is trying it. It's piloting a program in dozens of stores to offer counseling in the hope of reducing overall healthcare costs. And here I must mention that CVS owns the healthcare company Aetna, which is one of NPR's sponsors. NPR's Yuki Noguchi has the story. Clients spill their guts to Philadelphia barbershop owner Angela Miller. You hear everything. I've heard so many stories. It's just like, I'm not a counselor, but they feel comfortable talking to you. You know, their family, you know, who they're married to, you know, what they're struggling about. It's been an intense year for clients and for Miller herself. People who lost work, they lost their jobs. My business had to shut down for about four months, and I wasn't really financially prepared for that. And my family, last year in March, we all caught COVID. I almost died from it. The stress back to Miller, who has raised five kids on her own, and the isolation, she says, filled up decades. with other insurers. It's a bet that could pay off for CVS. Oh, my my apologies, folks. I, I actually was muting myself so they wouldn't hear any background noise, but of course I have forgotten that in order for you to hear this is actually coming through my mic. So um, allow me to um, restart this. It's just a couple minutes and I think it's really, really important for us to hear how people are addressing this. So I wasn't thinking about the the, <laughs> technical stuff that I was doing in the background. So allow me to just restart this, please, um, because I think it's a very, very, well, I'll, I'll back it up a little bit, not restart the whole thing, but I'll back it up to like maybe two minutes. But this is really, really important to understand, um, you know, how, how this is working and how it's providing a solution for people living elsewhere. Yes, too. Jeff Cook is the vice president of the chain. He says internal data show if you treat mental health before it escalates into a crisis, it reduces other medical costs. You're not going to be able to reduce emergency visits if you can't address some of the other problems around mental health. You've got to be able to address both sides. And as an industry, we haven't done a very good job of being able to tie those two together. CVS isn't alone in offering therapy in a store. Walmart has opened 20 in-store health centers offering counseling along with primary and diagnostic care. Back at the CVS in Philadelphia, therapist Eve Townsend walks out of her office inside the urgent care clinic. 
She says she hopes offering counseling in stores will reach more people. Every other therapist she knows is already swamped with patients. That's a huge issue. The fact that people are saying, I'm crying out for help. I need this particular service. I don't want to go in inpatient. I don't want to go to the emergency room and not having anywhere to go. Patients can sit in an upholstered chair in her office or talk over video. The room is next to a nurse practitioner and adjacent to the pharmacy. Townsend says this proximity to everything works. To be able to say, I can refer you within this clinic with a nurse practitioner, or you can get your medication here at the same place where you're receiving your mental health services. It's like a one-stop shop. Nurse practitioner Felicia Anyan Wu agrees. She works 10 feet away from Townsend and often refers patients to her. At times, shingles manifest as a result of stress. People might have hives as a result of stress. She says rooting out the real cause makes it less likely these people end up in costly emergency care. If it's something that could be treated at this level, that has in, in effect decreased the cost, both for the insurance carrier as well as the patient. These days, Barbara Angela Miller tells how therapy is brightening her outlook. I will share that, hey, I'm in counseling now and I've been feeling better about the situation. So far, she says she's referred five friends to the therapist at CVS. Yuki Deguchi, NPR News, Philadelphia. And now more from NPR. So, um, folks, this is one innovative solution that has worked for people. I mean, a lot of people have to go to the pharmacy in any event. So wouldn't it be wonderful um, if we were able to adopt? I always say, why are we reinventing? I'm, I'm going to put the link here for those of you who want to um, go back and and listen to that again for yourselves. Um, you know, we can adopt some of these innovative solutions and different ways of um, making services accessible. Like it should be easy peasy to get to therapists, to get mental health um, care, um, or to just be able to speak to a professional. It's so interesting that a lot of times we have to go out of our way to seek help. And, you know, there's month long or two month long appointments and anybody, unfortunately, who is really good at what they do, they tend to get booked up really, really easily. And this is why I think having access to like a toll free 800 number for suicide prevention is good. But I would like just not even suicide prevention, um, because you might have people saying, well, I'm not suicidal, but they're depressed and they need a counselor, they need a therapist. I would like to see 800 numbers available for people to just be able to pick up the phone and call and talk to somebody. Um, it doesn't have to be the suicide prevention number because normally that number is seen more as an emergency number. Like if you're feeling suicidal right now, you call that number and someone will talk you out of a situation and try to get you, you know, emergency mental health help. I think we just need to have regular therapists <laughs> on speed dial, right? The government could um, tap into centers um, in the U.S., for example, that have therapists on call. Listen, I I've always been shocked at how limited our resources are here in the Cayman Islands. For a country that's supposed to be so incredibly um, wealthy, right? Because when I was in the, you know, seventh grade, I had access to homework help. You know, I would be able to stay at home and call in a toll-free number and say, um, they ask you what kind of help you needed. I'm like, okay, I'm not getting this algebraic equation. I just don't understand it. They'd patch me through to someone 
who was an expert in algebra, and they would help me with my homework. This was a long time ago. I'm in my 40s, folks. The seventh grade wasn't yesterday. And these are the types of resources that have been available forever in other places in the world. And we don't even have anything like that in Cayman. You know, I've, I've always been very baffled by how we could talk about our success as a country. Oh, we're an economic financial center and we have so much development here and million dollar properties in real estate. And then you go, okay, um, how are you addressing the mental health and well-being of your people? Oh, well, hmm. yes, we need a mental health facility. We need therapists. We need simple things. You know, kids are struggling. They just need to pick up the phone and be able to talk to someone. Um, someone else is asking, do you know if there's a, sorry, the question popped up. Hold on. This person says, question, do you know if there's a COVID phone line to call for psychological help? No, this is what I'm telling you. We know that there is a, um, a number. Someone else has shared that the Department of Counseling Services offers free therapeutic support for all residents of the Cayman Islands, irrespective of insurance or, or immigration status. This is great, but I want to know if I call the Department of Counseling Services right now, and I say, I would like to make an appointment to see an, a professional. I just want to talk to somebody. Like, I don't even necessarily need to go in. Can I talk to someone on the phone? Um, I am willing to bet you that um, it's like, oh, yes, we can get you in in six months. When, when you need to talk to somebody, you can't wait six months. You know, so the U.S. has come up with a possible solution. They actually have um, therapists in in the stores and the, you know, it's like you can go in for consult. Like, you know, you go to the pharmacist and you can have a brief consult with them about medication, whatever. I don't know how well that's going to work um, here in the Cayman Islands, because again, everybody, people are here in work permits. You've got employers who are paying high work permit fees. They're more concerned about, well, that person has to be churning out or um, engaging in a service that is, um, I can put a figure to, like they're earning their keep, they're paying for their work permit, they're paying for their salary. So they probably, employers don't even see a therapy session as something that's essential to add to a business like a pharmacy. How many pharmacies would be willing to do that in Cayman? How many, um, you know, mental health professionals would be able to go sit in a pharmacy, stick up a little sign, the pharmacy's in session now, you know, walk on through if you'd like to see them. Of course, Cayman being what it is. Oh, and I don't want anybody to see me walking into that section of the pharmacy because then they know I went and spoke to somebody and they, I know something's wrong with me. And, you know, so of course there's this like fear of people knowing. Someone is saying, um, anyone that can help or advice during COVID, I have a situation that I'd like to speak to someone about. So right now I've got someone saying, I need help and I need someone to talk to. Okay. Well, let's call, they're, they're not even open. It's only 8.17 in the morning, the Department of Counseling Services. What are their hours? What time do they open? Because again, mental health doesn't really, mental health doesn't have any hours, right? So they have, I'm just looking at their website. They have adult services. They say they have residential treatment, withdrawal management unit, a prevention, intervention management unit, assessment and referrals, counseling, parent coaching, um, I would love to hear more about, do they offer classes, especially for parent coaching and so on? Um, that's individualized parenting support for families. They have intakes, registration process to access clinical services, uh, crisis intervention and victim advocacy. 
contact us. Um, if you leave a message through the website, it's going to take them two to three business days to get back to you. Okay. Well, if I need counseling services, I don't have that kind of time. Let me see what happens if I call the number. Like I said, they're probably not open yet. I guess most places don't open until what time? 8, 30, 9 o'clock? Well, let's see. the Counseling Center, Department of Counseling Services. Mm -hmm. Please listen for a dial-by-name directory and either press the pound key to dial by last name or enter an extension to reach your party. For future appointments or inquiries about our services, please dial zero. Extension 87. Let's see. calling the counseling center okay. department of counseling services. So you dial zero. I'm assuming that they're not open, but their voicemail goes back to like the original message instead of saying, oh, I'm sorry, you've reached us outside of hours. Please call back. No indication of when they open. So we'll try again a little bit because I would like to know what's the average, um, like if I want to come in for their services, I want to see a counselor or somebody, how much of a wait am I talking about here? Like in real terms, right? Um, I feel like it's great to say that these services are available, but when you're trying to actually access them, it's a totally different situation. Uh, Aliana says, yes, the hypocrisy of these one day worship warriors to gloss over these feelings over being more proactive. Well, you know what I find, and I'm not trying to throw religion under the bus by any stretch of the imagination, but what I find is um, people turn to, oh, just leave it to God. They turn to this, pre-programmed message, right? Which has no, it's like, what does that even mean? Um, because they don't know what else to do. Uh, and they think, oh, well, this is a positive way of trying to deal with your issues. But to me, that's not a real solution, right? When someone is in, in crisis mode um, or they need, they need a counselor, they need professional help, that's not a solution to be like, oh, let's just pray about it. Then what, <laughs> you know? And I think it's just easy when people don't know what to do to say, well, I'm gonna leave it up to higher being because somebody must have control of the situation. I don't have control. I don't understand what's going. So all I can do is pray about it and I'm just gonna leave it to somebody else. God has got it figured out. He knows what to do. And it's like, okay, but you still don't have a meaningful solution to work your way through this. And um, I feel like when people go through life kind of waiting for somebody else to fix it and they don't know how to fix it, they don't have any resources at their disposal, it's just not a good situation. Um, thank you so much. Uh, Marshall says, it's so ignorant for people to think that someone, that anyone can turn a person gay or that homosexuality can rub off on you. That's poor thinking. 
Unfortunately, you'd be surprised how many people really do believe that. I've had this discussion with a lot of people um, who say to me, oh, Sandy, you're supportive of the LGBT community, but I'm afraid for my children. I'm like, afraid for your children from what? You need, you know what you need to be afraid for your children for? The people out there who are taking advantage of your children and molesting them. And the vast majority of them, my dear, are not homosexual individuals at all. Even if they're molesting same-sex boys, they're not homosexuals. They don't see themselves as homosexuals and they don't identify themselves as homosexuals. But sometimes their preference for a victim might be male. And so, you know, I think we, again, are driven by these belief systems that honestly um, don't make any sense. The pressure and expectations that put on some people's why they commit suicide, not everyone can handle it. Um, Louis says, uh, he quotes a Bible verse that says, our works is like filthy rags, so grace can't be earned. Good morning, Jonathan. How are you, my dear? Uh, Dominique says, worry only what God thinks of you and not man. God and pleasant morning. Oh, sorry. Good and pleasant morning to you all. Family, uh, please have a wonderful day. Thank you so much. Uh, Diamond Princess says, I believe that some people take Christianity in a different way. I do believe that mothers must talk to their kids and be open with them about everything, even things that they do not know about themselves. Kids now are lacking love from parents. They need to do things um, with their kids, different activities, and always remind them that they love them and that they're important. Thank you, Diamond Princess, for that. That's very, very um, a very significant comment about how, as parents, we can uh, seek to be more involved in the lives of our children. And um, I think from day one that that has to be so important. Just sometimes just hanging out with your kids. Like, you don't have to do anything. Like, you know, you got a five-year-old, six-year-old. Can you just play with me? Okay. What are we playing? What, you know, oh, let's just play Barbie or whatever. All right. Child's play. Um, allowing your kids to interact with you builds a bond and a relationship that's extremely important as they get older. And they may not always want to come to you as the first person that they want to talk to. I think having had that foundation is extremely important. So someone shared uh, this quote um, that says, your children are not your children. They're the sons and daughters of life's longing for itself. They come through you, but not from you. And though they are with you, yet they belong not to you. You may give them your love, but not your thoughts, for they have their own thoughts. You may house their bodies, but not their souls, for their souls dwell in the house of tomorrow, which you cannot visit, not even in your dreams. You may strive to be like them, but seek not to be, sorry, but seek not to make them like you. For life goes not backwards, nor tarries with yesterday. You are the boughs from which your children are living arrows are set forth, as living arrows, sorry, are set forth. You're the bows for which your children as living arrows are sent forth. And the archer sees the mark upon the path of the infinite and he bends you with his might that his arrows may go swift and far. And this is a prophet by the name of Khalil, is it Gibran? So um, very, very deep, actually, and very, very interesting. Thank you for sharing that. Um, 
someone has just said available doesn't mean accessible. Meanwhile, God, like I gave y'all therapy. <laughs> um, so this person says I am getting counseling from them and it didn't take long to see anyone there. Uh, they will give you an appointment for an intake to see where you are and who's best to assign you to. Well, that's good. Thank you for sharing that um, because that's good to know. So one possible um, option, and so I will recommend to this other person then to um, who needs to speak to someone to give them a call. Emma, good morning, says a lot of this goes back to parents who went through traumatic experiences during their own childhood and were fortunate enough to survive but never received any treatment, which is unfortunate because survival... Mm, is one thing. There's a huge difference between surviving and actually thriving, right? She goes on to say, but circumstances were not as influenced by the media, which I think is a major part of the problem. Some parents have a stigma and think it's a shame to have a child with mental problems. So they hide it and tell themselves it will pass. It doesn't pass and they're doing an injustice to their children. And quite honestly, I don't even know um, if it's all about like the media, I know we've got social media and these things that have added a layer of complexity on top of everything. But quite frankly, I also believe that these issues have long exist. They weren't in our faces. We weren't talking about them. You know, people would die for hundreds of years by suicide. And it was something that you didn't even say how they died. Oh, they just died. And it's like, okay, what happened to them? Um, in fact, just yesterday, I was reading about this transgender individual who was on the 600, um, my, what is it called? My 600 pound life or something. It's a show and um, they have died. So the name is Destiny Lachey, my 600 pound life star dead at 30, 30 years old. And so I'm reading this article about this uh, death and um, it was on the reality star's brother posted the sad news on Facebook. And then it just says that um, Lachey was born as a male, Matthew Ventress, and the cause of death is not known. That's what it says in one paragraph, but then it goes on to say that um, she struggled with mental health issues. So although they don't say it, you get the sense that this is a suicide, right? It said that um, Lachey, uh, who hit her breaking point at, a, at 668 pounds, was candid about dealing with depression and how it's connected to weight struggles. This is a quote that she said, I just lay here all day and I wait for food, Lachey said. I don't see any of my family and friends unless they come to see me. I feel like I'm... I feel like all I'm constantly doing is trying to escape my depression and pain at this point. Food is the only thing I can turn to to do that. I can feel it killing me. And so, you know, um, talking about how depressive um, it was. And normally for people who are struggling with something like weight, it's the weight isn't the issue. It's a manifestation of what is what else is going on in that person's life, right? 
So um, Lachey did manage to lose a significant amount of weight. Um, I think over 500 pounds or something, at least 500 pounds. And even despite that amazing transformation, now at age 30, Lachey is dead. And like I said, they haven't said yet, but certainly when I read the story, I got the uh, Destiny Lachey, I got the distinct impression that this was, this was a suicide. Let's see if we know cause of death yet. Um, so again, you know, people are doing transformative things. They are losing weight, something she always wanted to do. But the underlying issue of how you uh, even get to be 668 pounds, right? Normally is indicative of some sort of struggle in your life. So another story says, published reports reveal that Lachey 30 was battling depression. Though their family will, though though the, their family did not reveal the cause of death, some reports suggest her death was an apparent suicide. That's the impression I got as well. Sad. So the manifestation of issues, right, can sometimes be very, very apparent when people look at us as well. Um, Emma says, education, mental health, the signs, options for treatment and ridding of the stigma. No one chooses to live their life mentally challenged. It's a disease, accept it, and things need to change. Um, good morning, Carmely says, thank you, Sandy, for your help yesterday. You're welcome. Good morning, Miss Morna. Good morning. Um, Emma says, therapy is available from the camera. So I think we need to... Um, I don't even know where that building is. Oh, the works building. Oh, yes. Now that you say that, um, I feel like I know that they're there. Okay. Yeah. So maybe we can also, Kevin, I know Kevin's listening. Uh, maybe we need to reach out to the Cayman Islands Counseling Services and find out what they're offering, as well as some private um, companies here in the Cayman Islands to let people know what resources are available to them. Uh, Marshall says anyone who's going through any kind of loss, uh, any kind of stress, sorry, needs to talk to someone and get out of the house, go for a drive or walk on the beach. Just get out for from the four walls of your room. Um, we have someone here swearing for Aetna Insurance, um, says that they're great. Irvlin says right now I'm stressed out um, because I'm unable to travel. I'm tired of this COVID situation. And unfortunately, it's not going away. Um, really, I wanted to talk about COVID today and some of the stark realities of it, but we started down this path. And I think that, as I often say in this program, you're right where you're supposed to be. Uh, we also hear that some workplaces offer therapy help for free, but yes, it should be covered insurance. Now, let me say something about workplaces, and I think that's fantastic. And if they do, they need to make sure that everyone um, and their staff complement is aware of the services. But I have also known people from working in large law firms um, who have had mental health issues. They've lost a loved one, for example, and they were struggling with that loss and they were going through, um, you know, a bit of maybe even post-traumatic stress or depression as a result of that loss. And their employers were only 
they were only so prepared to allow them to attend counseling services. In one instance, a young lady was told, you've been to four sessions now, you should be over this. The death of like a grandmother or something. And I don't know, I don't know if it was exactly four sessions, but this was the narrative, right? Okay, you've been to enough counseling now, can you get over this and get back to work? And another sick note for another mental health day. Okay, you've gone over your 10 days sick and we can't get, it's like, so yeah, they might be like, oh yes, counseling is available, go if you need it. But they think that that means um, that you're only going to the one session and then you're fixed, everything's fine. I'm like, how does that work exactly? And they don't want you taking time off. And a lot of therapists and you know appointments are not available outside of working hours. They're not available at six, seven, eight o'clock in the evening. So you got to go nine to five. Uh, good morning, Lizette. She says, thanks, Sandy. Very interesting topic. Education of mental health is so much needed in our islands. Flashpoint says most businesses see staff that seek help as a risk to their business. Yes. Until that changes, no meaningful progress will be made. I agree with you, Flashpoint. And that's the example that I was just giving. I know of... Um, this very, very unfortunate situation. And you know what? The person ended up losing their job at that law firm after being there for a number of years. Um, well, they, they ended up leaving. They, they resigned from their job because the stress and the pressure was too much because they were told you should be fixed by now. And it was like, uh, I don't want to be in this environment where somebody thinks I've lost a loved one. All of a sudden I'm, I'm fixed after two, three sessions. Diamond Princess says, the main thing is that individuals must accept the fact that they need help. My son was murdered three years ago. Oh, wow. I'm so sorry to hear that. I took my daughter to counseling, but I keep saying I was okay because I believe I was coping well. But in all honesty, I've been depressed and I acknowledge it and started counseling for myself. If I don't tell a person that I lost my son, they wouldn't know. And that's how well I covered it up. My God, it's horrible. I hope others can take the step to really speak to someone. We're all strong, but we all do get, I'm sorry that that got cut off. Um, very sad, but again, um, Princess makes a very good point. That a lot of times people want you to heal and to deal with a situation on their timeline. It's like, oh, you've lost your mom. Three months now, you should be fine. You've lost a parent. Okay, it's been six months. Get over it. And everybody um, struggles at their own interval with loss and trauma. And, you know, um, even outside of depression, because depression is a very, very unique situation. But just even dealing with loss, which we will all have to deal with at some point in our life. Everybody will have somebody die that they care about and that they love and that they know whether it's a parent, a sibling, whatever. And for people to tell you how to navigate that loss and how to react to that situation um, is not the way to do it, you know? And, and sometimes princess is right. Sometimes you don't even recognize how much something impacts you. It's kind of like, um, you guys know how much I love my pets, right? And so many, many years ago, I had lost my dog, um, my dogs, actually, Oscar and Rupert. And they they were, they died of 
natural causes, but within a very short space of time, like literally uh, Rupert died first and Oscar died of a heartbreak. And if you don't believe it, trust me, even the vet was like, this dog was perfectly healthy. And in a month to the day that the other dog had passed away, Oscar's organs just all stopped. And this is what um, stress, depression, loss can physically, you can die from a broken heart. They've now proven this. It's called broken heart syndrome. You can actually die from a broken heart. And so I was really, really devastated. Uh, these were my first two pets as an adult of my own where I'm like, okay, I want to adopt. I rescued both of these dogs and, um, you know, I brought them all the way from the States to the Cayman Islands. Like it, it was a significant loss. My girlfriend, Mary would tell you guys, oh my God, I cried so much, but you know, I always cry when I lose a pet. Like it's just, especially when you lose a pet, at least they died under somewhat natural circumstances. My poor Coco, it was just absolutely traumatic. But years later, um, I was talking to someone and somehow my dogs came up in conversation and this was a Jamaican fella that I was talking to at the time. And he said something like, um, oh, you know, you and these old dogs, something, something, something. And literally we were at a restaurant somewhere actually in Miami and I just burst into tears. Like I could not believe how uncontrollable of an emotional outburst that I just had. Like it wasn't even really explainable except that I hadn't dealt with the loss as well as I thought I had. And it wasn't like a recent loss. This was like years later. But the way that this person had dismissed my, my memory and my talking about an animal. So imagine how we do this to each other with like human beings, right? The way that this person was kind of dismissive of it, like, ah, oh, it's just a dog. And I literally just burst into tears. And I was like, you know, clearly this is something that makes me very, very emotional and that I've not fully dealt with because I should have been in a position to really tell that person um, and express how I feel, how I felt about the situation at the time. And uh, quite frankly, I was unable to do so. And so I feel like we all have uh, different co coping mechanisms. Some of us bury it, folks. Um, some of us, we think we've dealt with the situation and in fact, we really haven't. And, um, you know, that's why I say therapy and talking to people should be normalized. Like there should not be anything unusual about going to a therapist. You shouldn't feel weird about having to get help and talk to someone. And sometimes you try to express, um, this to, people around you, but they are not able to help you, right? They're, you know, they're not therapists, they're not professionals. And sometimes even as friends, they don't have the sensitivity or the understanding, not that they don't always want to, but they may just not have the understanding to give you the listening ear that you need. Everybody is so tied up in their own lives and trying to, you know, hustle and do all sorts of things that, you know, this is part of, I feel like, um, what happens, right? So Dana, thank you so much. She says, your kindness is showing through again. Wonderful suggestions to bring well-needed help to K-Mankind. Um, so I'm glad to hear that, folks. There's help available uh, here if you need it. I think that um, we all need to reach out to these available resources. Um 
because no one wants to think that, you know, anyone, whether a young person or not, has taken their life and there was something that we could have done. There was something more, some way in which we could have assisted or helped someone. Um, it's just really, really devastating. And I can tell you that, you know, this young lady, Addie, her mom did post this very meaningful post on social media to say that essentially her life would not be, she was going to share her story. This was not something that, that is going to be in vain. And I thought that that was so courageous um, of Rhonda and by extension, her family. So, um, you know, I just want to thank Rhonda for, for the post because it's just, it's just unbelievable. I mean, it really, really, I cannot imagine as a parent uh, what that must feel like and uh, what Rhonda could potentially, her and her family, what they're going through. I don't pretend to understand it, but let me just show you her post. She took the time to thank everyone um, for reaching out. And um, this is their youngest child. And she said, you know, she's thanking everyone for their kind words, for um, their beautiful stories and their memories. And, you know, they're gonna find a way to honor this young lady so that her story is, uh, so you guys understand a little bit. She says that um, in the coming days and weeks, we're gonna be sharing Addie's story to shed light on her journey and honor her beautiful fighting spirit. We do this in hopes of helping our community truly understand that trials and tribulations of someone battling trauma um, and mental illness. And in this devastating time, our family has felt such an incredible outpouring of love and support. This community is upholding us uh, in a time when we need it the most and we appreciate it more than we could ever express. And this is the beautiful young lady here um, who's no longer with us because, you know, I don't know um, exactly what happened. So um, I, I didn't know this young lady personally, but I have heard nothing but amazing and positive things about her. Um, she was beautiful um, on the outside and the inside from what I've heard. And, uh, you know, she grew up in a loving family. And, you know, sometimes when we look, again, we're looking outside in, we see perfection and we just don't know the true story. So, you know, our sincere condolences go out to this family. I wish that we could undo their pain in some way. And so I just want young people to know that if you're struggling in any way, um, please try to access um, some help, let people know, talk to people, and always give yourself time, right? So you may think, I can't cope anymore. I can't do this. I just want to end my life. And I always say, um, give yourself five more minutes. And then in five minutes, you're like, I still can't cope. Give yourself five more minutes. I'm, I'm of the belief that just give yourself five more minutes. Just keep giving yourself five more minutes. Because I know that no matter how low you get in life, um, there will always, if you give yourself five more minutes, the, the, the winds of change are coming. Nothing stays the same in life, including your depressive state. Um, things will change. Things will get better, right? 
So Geraldine says, I understand that COVID issues, um, but there are kids and parents seeking help and kids don't want to uh, connect to Zoom and other online sessions. We need these foundations and FRC to get back on track with in-person sessions. Kids uh, would be more engaged. And I thank you, Geraldine, for pointing that out because even as it relates to educating your children, you're absolutely right. Um, children do not learn in the same way. Um, via a Zoom session. And that's why in-class um, learning was so important to try to return to as soon as it was safe to do so. For a number of different reasons, children need that interaction. They need that level of normalcy. They need to be out and about um, with their peers and you know, talking to people in person. So I acknowledge that even for counseling services that that's not always necessarily the best and most effective but sometimes it is what you have. Um, Damien says, reading the Bible or listening to scriptures on YouTube, going to church gets me through. So um, if that works for you, then that's great. That's great, Damien. Um, Carla makes the point, and I've said this time and time again, Jackie, thank you, that some locals would feel more comfortable speaking with a total stranger. So a toll-free overseas number is an excellent idea. Well, that's always been my belief as well. And that's why I've said that, you know, let's make more than one thing uh, available to people. Um, so morning, Miss Sue, she says her teenagers have suffered a lot through the last two years um, with their education, not seeing their friends, socializing, um, mentally just growing up, uh, been so different. Their lives have been put on hold and we never went through this as teenagers. My children didn't either. So yes, it's been a tough two years. And you know what also, Miss Sue, in relation to that, um, I think every generation goes through something different, but you can't compare it. Like I hear people trying to compare, well, oh, this generation of kids, they so soft and they can't handle this. And, da, da, da. and this generation of kids is different, you know, but let's be very, very honest. Some of our forefathers, some of our parents went through World War One, World War II. They grew up during the Vietnam War. They grew up very tumultuous and, you know, strife-filled things happening in the world. You know, fear, fear of uh, a nuclear bomb being dropped on them. So I feel like every generation has gone through stuff. Now, what has happened over the past 50 years with the advent of things like television and the last 20 years with the advent of things like social media is there's an always present, like it's always in your face. You kind of always know what's going on. There is such a thing as overload of information. And so sometimes you have to know, um, folks, when to disconnect, you know, and how much to expose young people to. So even as it related to, um, you know, my daughter's understanding at four years old, you know, about COVID and what was happening around the world, she was really afraid and very, very scared when she um, first saw people wearing masks. She's like, why, why are people wearing a mask? Like, this looks scary. This looks different. This is weird. And we had to try to normalize that. And, and it helped that she was in a school environment where they were explaining to them, like, okay, there's this thing called COVID. It is a virus. And we sort of reinforced that message. And so to try to protect ourselves, there's certain things that we have to do. Now she doesn't think twice when she sees people wearing a mask. But at first it was like really scary. And she didn't want to go out. She didn't want to be around people um, because everybody was wearing a mask. And it was like really, really weird, right? 
So uh, I think, Ms. Sue, that every generation deals with different things and every generation probably deals with these traumatic uh, worldwide and collective experiences um, very, very differently. And we have our own personal trauma and our own personal experiences and stuff as well that people are also dealing with. So I don't know this young lady's story yet. Uh, Rhonda has said that she will certainly share it with us. I don't know if her trauma or her situation had anything to do with COVID at all. It could be that she was just struggling with other things in her personal life. Like I said, when young ladies come of age, uh, they're in their teenage years, it is often a very transformative and difficult time for a lot of kids, um, both male and female. Emma says, uh, these are the kind of things that government needs to focus on. A hotline for anyone that needs someone to talk to and connect to appropriate services to help them. Depressed people don't even want to talk to anyone, not even their best friends or family. And education is the key for families because if you don't understand, how do you deal with something that you don't understand? And I think that not only that, like because sometimes the shame of saying, I need help, I'm depressed, because people do feel a certain sense of shame about it. Um, that could be one reason why they don't want to talk to people that they know, but also the fear of how people that you know will react to it. Like when you tell them, you know, how are they going to react? Are they going to make like a super big deal about it? Or are they going to tell you, oh, just go get over it, go to church and pray about it. So then they're dismissive of the situation. You know, I think that we all need to be prepared. How would you react? How are you going to react if your loved one comes to you? Anybody that you know comes to you and says, I'm depressed. What are you going to do? How are you going to react? When it happened to me, on more than one occasion, by the way, I was like, okay, I'm not equipped to deal with this. The first time somebody told me that they were suicidal and that they were depressed, I'll never forget it. I was in university. Um, I was telling you guys yesterday how I was a resident assistant. So there was this guy named George. I don't even know how George and I met, but I feel like he was on my floor. He might've been one of my residents. And, uh, but we became friends. He was a pilot. He was training to be a pilot. And so he would go out and want to get a lot of his flight hours in. So sometimes he'd be like, oh, Sandy, can you come and do my flight hours with me and whatever? And I'd say, sure. Get in a plane with a student who's still learning. <laughs> now I look back at it. I'm like, oh, when you're young, you can be so stupid. Um, but, you know, one day we were driving and he'd ask me to go with him to Melbourne, Florida, where he was from to um, spend the weekend. And I was like, okay, you know, whatever. And um, when we were driving, he said to me, I have something I want to tell you. And I said, okay. And he says that I'm gay. And, you know, I've been really depressed about not being able to tell my parents. And so this weekend, when you go with me, that's the plan is I'm going to tell my parents. And I was like, oh, as he tells me this, he runs through a red light, almost killing us both. And I'm just like, George, I'm sure this is a really big announcement, like something big you just told me, but it's not worth killing me over. And we just had a chuckle. Like that was a moment of like comedic relief. Like he just started laughing because he thought that that was so funny. And then I was like, okay, so what's the plan? How are we going to tell your parents? Well, you know, he was so afraid of what his parents would say and what they would do. And I was like, all right, I'm here for you. But, you know, if you are truly feeling suicidal, if you're truly feeling depressed, that is something, I'm just a university student. I'm no expert in any of this stuff. That is something way above my pay grade for sure. We need to get you some help. So tell me, you know, if you're feeling this way, of course, like I said, in the US, there are more availability of services. 
Um, and you know what? I don't know whatever. I don't know where George is now, but I hope he's fine. He's good. And he told his parents that it wasn't even as bad as he was imagining in his head. Um, his dad took a minute, but his mom was like, you know what? I love you no matter what. It doesn't matter. I don't care if you're gay. Of course, I think they knew. I think his mom for sure knew because it was kind of like obvious even to me. But, um, you know, people are afraid of people's reactions. I know somebody else said, well, don't care what anybody else thinks but God. And I'm like, well, most people really do care. I mean, sometimes I tell y'all, I'm like, I don't care, I don't care what people think. Because if you're honestly not paying my bill, I don't, I don't engage too much in, in what you have in your head. But very few people can say that and truly mean that. I mean, I actually do mean it because I, it, it's, I have been able to, in my life, um, understand that everybody has an opinion. I don't have to agree with their opinion. I don't have to like their opinion, but I also don't have to take their opinion on board, you know? And sometimes that is a learning process because sometimes people do say stuff and post stuff. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to respond to that. And the reason why I'm responding is because I am taking it on board. And there are times that I gloss past it. I'm like, oh, eh. You, you, you truly know that you are not significant to me in any way, shape, or form. When I can hear you say something and just be like, you know what? I'm going to set the record straight, but I'm just going to move past this because you're being silly. You have no clue, you know, what you're talking about. And we just keep it moving. And, you know, you have to do that sometimes. Uh, Janet says, Damien, uh, yeah, how's that working for you when you need real help mentally or physically? Um, so I think Damien was saying going to church and that sort of thing was helping him. And what helps one person is not the solution for other people, Janet. And um, I agree with you, like for most people. Um, so Damien just qualifies, he clarifies that he's not saying that was a remedy. Everyone has different issues and I cope with mine that way through scripture. So yeah, I mean, listen, however he thinks it helps, hopefully it does help Damien, um, then that's fine. But I find a lot of people, again, because how we're raised, are told that that's the way to do it. And they're forced into like this way of thinking with these blinders on, that this is what's going to solve your problems. And in fact, it doesn't. And they just keep saying that. And then one day when they're dead, you're like, what happened? They were in church and they believed in God and they and I'm like, it wasn't enough. So like I said, Damon, I think, yeah, every generation is just so incredibly different. Everybody has their own coping mechanisms. Yes. Thank you so much. Um, so uh, Dawn likes to listen to Christmas music. Christian. Oh, sorry. I saw Christmas for a second. They're Christian songs. Um, okay. Sitting in some uh, beach, uh, what's left of it, <laughs> comforts me when I'm feeling down. Free therapy, says Debbie. Good. Um, Masu says, I agree. My first trauma was losing my mother, my dad, then Ivan came. This last two years has been like trauma from a war, but no bombs. That's an interesting way of saying it. As our teenage years were great. Yes, grandparents went through a lot more. Mr. Amelia says, Christ is the answer to all your problems. Mr. Amelia, have you ever been to a therapist? I'm kind of curious. Um, folks, let me encourage you to get whatever professional help it is that you need. 
whatever help you need. If you need to go to a therapist, they are there for a reason. And um, I think that um, they will get you a lot of help. Um, so someone shared where my weight loss was seen by a few people. My weight gain was due to due in part to depression. I was getting lived by life. I'm not sure if that's what you meant to say, but I found and continue to find when people reach out for help, it is there. They just need to take that step and seek help. So someone has shared that at Joanna Clark Primary School, they actually have an event that's coming up, uh, Mental Health Day, which is Friday, February the 11th. That's today. Oh, today's Mental Health Day? Well, I did not even know that. I've spent the entire morning talking about mental health and didn't even know that today was Mental Health Day. I need to start looking at my list. I do have a list, by the way, of like these types of things, like World AIDS Day, Mental Health Day. I had no clue that it was today. Okay, well, you know, they say you're right where you're supposed to be. And clearly, we're supposed to be having this conversation. So Mental Health Day, Growing Together, it's today, apparently. Um, Joanna Clark Primary School is having a free dress down day. You can wear a white top and jeans. They're going to have yoga, mural painting and art therapy, dance, brain break, music, and virtual assembly. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. I had no idea that was even happening today. Hmm. Um, beautiful. So let me share a few things. Um about this. Um, if I may. So I told you guys that I have been watching uh, quite a few stories about this young lady, Miss um, USA, who was suffering from mental health issues. So I do want to be, someone said it's not today, but maybe for that school. Oh, okay. So the usual mental health, the world mental health day is October the 10th. So maybe the school is just putting on something for today. Well, I think we should have more than one mental health day in the sense that, you know, we just need to have mental health moments um, where we're just checking in and doing things like this. I think it's fantastic to give kids the opportunity to do yoga and that sort of thing. So um, let me see if I can find the video um, that I want to share with you guys on Chrissy. Uh, Chelsea, sorry. Um, so have a, have a listen to this. Give me one second. Let me just cue it up here. About this young lady 
And um, I found it interesting and I hope you do as well. This morning, we are hearing for the first time from a close friend of former Miss USA. That, of course, is Chelsea Chris. Chris, a former attorney and entertainment correspondent, took her own life just over a week ago. It's still hard to say that. In a statement, her mother revealed that Chesley had been dealing with high-functioning depression, which she hid from everyone. Her family says she was, quote, a ball of sunshine wrapped in smiles. Chris' friend and publicist is Latoya Evans. She's also the family spokesperson. She joins us at the table. Latoya, it's good to see you. I was at the airport over the weekend, and there was a picture of Chesley. And it still sort of took my breath away. You know, it's been eight days mm -hmm. since she left us. When was the last time you talked to her before she took her life last Sunday? Friday. The Friday before the Sunday. Just 48 hours. Uh, she sounded happy as usual. Nothing was amiss. And, you know, it just, who knows the last time you're going to speak to someone. And she had a big week coming up, right? It's not like Absolutely. there was, you had no indication, no inkling either. I would imagine you were stunned as everybody else, true? For sure. Uh, we had meetings planned for this past week. Um, she had photo shoots, dinner with friends. So there, again, was no indication. She had a packed week. She was planning for a future. So it took us all by shock and surprise. Her mom called it high-functioning depression. Most people aren't familiar with that term. What does that mean? High-functioning depression is really for the overachievers. It's for the people who are celebrated just like Chesley was, and unfortunately, taking that pain and hiding it from others. I, uh, I worked with Chesley at Extra yes. for quite some time, and I tried to look back at moments, and I couldn't, I couldn't pinpoint anything. But then I started thinking about how much she was on. Yes. She, she never dimmed. Like her light was always on. And then I started to think maybe, maybe there was too much pressure for her to always feel like she had to be on for everybody else, which she did. When she walked in the room, she lit it up. Mm. Yes. Are there moments when you look back and you say, maybe I can pinpoint something? Honestly, I can't. There were no signs because Chesley didn't show signs. She purposely concealed those because she didn't want to burden her family and her friends. Yeah. Just like you said, she's someone who brings joy. She brings happiness. And she did that up until her very last moments. Yeah. I mean, hindsight is always 2020, yeah. And unfortunately, that's just the way these things work. Uh, and one of the things that people are looking at in hindsight is the Allure essay that she wrote. Mm -hmm. I think you worked on it with I her. did work with her on the Allure essay. Some of the lines in it are, are quite haunting. She, she refers to a lonely craving for the next award. She makes a reference to turning 30 and uh, running out of time. Um, when you hear things like that, does that, in retrospect, look like a, not a cry for help, but a sign of some trouble? I really think it points to the high-functioning depression, especially for people who are in the limelight, who are overachievers. They crave the awards. They, they crave the accolades, and that's exactly what yeah. Chesley did. And I think that that essay, in hindsight, speaks to a little bit of that high-functioning depression, for sure. And then that can also push you to exhaustion because you're working so much to get the admiration from all of these different spaces and places. And she has worked herself to exhaustion. I remember her talking to me about it mm -hmm. and giving me advice, saying, Nate, you need to slow down because I've been there. Right. Um, has she talked to you, ever, did she ever talk to you about working too much? 
I certainly think we've had that discussion. Yeah. But again, for people who are high functioning, for people who are in the limelight, for people who are hard workers, that's relatively normal. I keep thinking about her mom and her stepfather. She was comes from siblings. There were six siblings mm -hmm. and her dad. How are they doing? I know you've been in close and constant contact with the family. Constant contact. The family is full of grief. Um, really, it's a shocker. So they're still processing this. Um, do they have answers, do you think? I think that, you know, in the future, they'll certainly reveal more about high-functioning depression and more about who Chesley was when they're done with this stage of the grief process. Um, but they are so thankful for the outpouring of love and support that people are receiving and giving. Um, they actually are launching a website later today mm. called rememberingchesley.com, mm -hmm. where they just want to collect all of those stories that we've been seeing on yes. social media that just talk about how incredible Chesley was. And that's Beautiful what's... No. Yeah, no, that, there have been some wonderful going. stories. I've got a letter from a woman who said, because of Chesley, I was feeling very depressed. Mm -hmm. Because of her, I was thinking about taking my own life. And now because of her, I'm now seeking help. Yeah. So she is making a difference in sure. her death. Short time I, I, here, but yes. she made an impact. I get the impression her family just wants to grieve at this particular time and wants to be left alone. They, they do. And yeah. again, they're so grateful. Um, yes. They're asking still for that respect for privacy while yeah. they grieve this loved one. Yeah. Um, but we again, so that. grateful. As Thank you, Latoya. Thank you. Again. We really Thank appreciate you. it. Um, I, I hope that again, you know, we get a little bit of insight into um, how people are um, going through a situation like this and, you know, I think everybody, every family is different. Every individual, even within families, are different. And, you know, there's no right or wrong response to losing a loved one so tragically. And so, um, again, our condolences certainly go out to um, the Kelly family. So Rachel says, Sandy, sometimes when you've experienced a traumatic experience, sometimes it's not always easy to talk about it. Mine was an acute trauma, but trauma nonetheless. When my young son was murdered and uh, I didn't want to talk to anyone, this is where being a brother's keeper comes in. I thank God every day for my former supervisor, Juliet McCoy and Dr. Tomlinson. I kept my feelings bottled up inside of me until suicidal thoughts started creeping in. Juliet with her watchful eye, I know was sent by God. And unfortunately, the rest of your comment got cut off. Gabby says, yes, Mr. Pedley is doing an awesome job at that school. My daughter goes there. This is this is really encouraging to see. Thank you so much, Gabby, and for the other person who shared that um, from uh, the school there in Bodden Town. Dana says, Sandy, do you know I adore you so much? Oh, thank you. You have an eight-lane highway straight from your heart to your words, refreshing and therapeutic. God bless you. I really appreciate that. Marshall says, that's just it. People feel like they have to be there for everyone but themselves. And that can bring you down. So listen, everyone, again, needs help. Let's norm normalize therapy. Let's norm normalize uh, mental health. And, um, you know, we can all, um, I feel like, get through this and um, come out better for it. So, you know, we'll find out more about the available resources here. I know Kevin's already working and putting the agenda together for um, the mental health series that we will have. Um, we're hopefully gonna be able to get some sponsors to come on board and help to sponsor this segment because listen, Kevin gives of his time um, freely, but you know what? <laughs> Kevin 
his time is, you know, valuable as well. And so if we can get a sponsor on board, we can certainly help um, with compensating Kevin for his time because he, during COVID, again, selfishly was giving of his time as well, um, volunteering and putting all these expert panels and so forth together. So folks, thank you guys uh, so much. Um, like I said, that was not the intended conversation today. But as I say here in the program all the time, you're right where you're supposed to be. So whether it's uh, a lesson that you just need to have or um, a discussion that, um, you know, we all need to have to kind of just get through it all, you know, it is what it is. Um, I was just going to have a look at our daily ohm for the day. I hope that people, you know, realize that there's no definition for happiness. I think everyone um, will find their path, hopefully. Um, so clinical depression, you may not know this, affects approximately 20 million Americans every year who suffer from prolonged periods of overwhelming sadness. I don't know that we have any statistics here. Um, but people find different things that can help. Meditation is something that can be a very, very meaningful exercise. And, um, you know, that can help you with anxiety and depression. So um, I just hope that, you know, people will understand that there is some help available out there and we should encourage people to get the help that they need. All right. Um, Mr. Amelia said, my God is bigger than any therapist. Okay, Mr. Amelia. Um, so I still want to encourage people to seek out a therapist if you need a therapist. Mm -hmm. Um. So let's just do a recap of a few things to tidy up for the week, um, some updates. So remember Bob Saget, folks? He's the comedian who died. Um, his cause of death has actually been revealed. And I must say that it's shocking. I didn't expect this. I thought he probably died of a heart attack because, you know, a heart attack can take you at any age, any place, any, you know, even if you think you're relatively fit, you know, one blockage, boom, kaboom, you're gone. So I figured, oh, he just had a heart attack. Well, listen to this. He didn't have a heart attack at all. It turns out he had a brain injury. So he must have hit his head and fell or something. He had some kind of blunt head trauma, right? 65 years old. And the medical examiner has now ruled that um, this is what caused his death. So this is crazy. Because I never in imagined years, and I never in a million years imagined that um, this is is what it what it was. So he had COVID nineteen, 
but obviously that's not what ended up killing him. Apparently he hit his head on something. Hmm. So they don't know if he fell and hit his head, if he like, I don't know, I don't know how it happened. Um, but they believe very probable that he suffered an unwitnessed fall backwards and struck the posterior aspect of his head. And so his official cause of death is accident. So what happened then is he went and lie down. Maybe he even, even had a little bit of a concussion. And then that was it. So that head trauma was the cause of his death. They also tested him for COVID as they're doing with everyone. So he actually was positive for COVID. Seems like he probably didn't know that though because he was actually outperforming. Now here's something else. I mean, these autopsies are amazing. The autopsy also noted that he had an enlarged heart, 95% blocked on one side. So, wow. I guess a heart attack might not have been out the, outside the realm of possibilities either. So 95% blockage on one side, no alcohol in his system. Um, he was taking something called clonazepam and clonopin, which is taken for seizures, panic disorders, and anxiety. And they did find an antidepressant in his system as well. Trazodone was found in his system. So they are reminding people about the dangers now of head injuries. And they're saying that um, he had areas of bleeding in the space between the brain and the skull. And this kind of injury compresses the brain and can be fatal. And Dr. Sanjay Gupta, you guys know he's the CNN chief medical correspondent, ahead of the release of the medical report, he actually said that based on what he was saying, what he was hearing, that he probably, the probable cause of death was actually a bleed on top of the brain, which can result in a subdural hematoma. hematoma. Um, so basically the blood collection in this scenario at the top of the brain, pushing on the brain, um, you know, causes a death. So the, the thing with brain injuries is a lot of times you may not know that you have one. You know, it is encased in a pretty, what we think is a thick skull. And um, it might not be obvious uh, until someone starts to lose consciousness or they have, um, they're unable to breathe on their own because the brain swelling can cause all of those things. But they're all saying that it must have been a pretty significant blow to the head. And so he, he should have gone, like maybe he fell in the bathroom or on a, a headboard on the bed or something like that. And he's not thinking anything of it. And then all of a sudden these small veins in the brain can tear as a result of that blow and the blood can start to leak. 
So the takeaway here, folks, is when you have a head injury, do not assume that it's a minor situation. Go to the doctor and you might have to have an MRI or brain scan to um, actually see what's going on. But don't, don't make any assumptions. It's just absolutely weird. Um, honestly, it just never occurred to me that that's what it could have been. Yeah. So there's a very interesting article in the New York Times as well. I think it's an editorial piece that says, don't write it off. Uh, so experts are saying, you know, don't ever think that this is something simple because apparently some 61,000 deaths in 2019 were related to traumatic brain injuries, according to the CDC. And nearly half of head trauma-related hospitalizations result from falls. So it may not be like everybody's thinking, oh, like a car accident, you have head trauma, whatever. But half of those uh, 61,000 deaths, um, well, not even the deaths, but half of head trauma-related hospitalizations actually result from people falling. So um, a brain injury expert said that this is a very uncommon situation and people with serious head trauma would be expected to have no noticeable symptoms like a headache, nausea, or confusion. And they can generally be saved by surgeons opening up their skull and relieving pressure on the brain from bleeding. But certain situations put people at higher risk uh, for the sort of deterioration that Saget experienced. So... Um, you know, he was alone uh, in the hotel room. So maybe he just didn't recognize the symptoms and how serious they were. And he thought, oh yeah, my head is throbbing. I'm a little bit confused, whatever. I'll just go lie down and sleep, right? And so um, as serious a risk factor as any doctors say is simply being alone. Someone with a head injury can lose touch with their usual decision-making capacities and become confused, agitated, or unusually sleepy. These symptoms, in turn, can stand in the way of getting help. And it goes on to say that while there's no indication that Saget was taking blood thinners, experts say that the medication can greatly accelerate the type of bleeding after head injury that forces the brain downward and compresses the centers um, that regulate breathing and other vital functions. So remember, your brain controls all of that. Your breathing, everything. If the brain shuts down, it can't tell your body to do those things, right? Um, so again, he was discovered in Orlando hotel room during a weekend of stand-up comedy acts where he was found unresponsive. A little bit crazy, right? Anyway, um, folks, if you have any sort of a head injury, uh, please go to, you know, call 911, go to the hospital, especially as you start to age 65, 75 and older, but any age um, is important to make sure you check out a brain injury fall. Like I've heard of people falling in the most unusual ways, like kids. Um, remember some years ago, there was a young lady, maybe about three, four years ago, there's a young lady who got out of the bathtub and fell like eight, nine years old or something. And that was it. She died from a fall. Because again, you hit your head in the tub or, you know, and that's why I always tell my daughter, I think about that little girl so much. And I tell my daughter, don't play like, you know, she's playing in the bathtub during the bath time. 
when it's time to come out, don't be playing because child, the, the tiling that we have in our house is like the worst. I don't know who put this tile in here, but it is literally the worst. When it is wet, it is very, very slippery. And you can accidentally fall easily in your home. Child, I have so many mats in my bathroom. And even then, one day, some months back, I was coming out of the shower and I, the mat kind of gave way and I almost slipped and fell. I was like, oh my God. If, and of course, I'm like, oh my God, if I slip and fell, my daughter was here with me, would she know what to do? It's not like you have the old phones where you know how to dial 911 anymore. Everybody's phone is locked. Like all these crazy things go through your head. Can Alexa help me? Can I tell her to call 911? It's like, you know, you might not even have the chance depending on the type of, of head injury that you have. Um, oh, yes. Let's talk about the attacker. Thank you so much for the reminder. So um, this guy here, I'm going to show you guys his photo, is now charged with attacking Odie. Now, remember that Odie um, did an interview with us. And um, Odie said that she would be able to identify her attacker. Now, there was a little bit of confusion because at first Odie said when she did the physical lineup, the guy who they had in custody um, was not the guy. But this guy seems to be a little bit of a chameleon, folks, in the sense that I've seen other pictures of him. And here he looks different. He has blonde highlights here. Um. And let me just see if I can find some other pictures of him. And so he does look a little bit different, to be honest. So I'm going to show you guys some other photos of him. So he is now charged with um, ABH and um, for assaulting this woman unprovoked, just grabbed her. He was riding his bicycle up and down grabbed her and threw her in the bushes and looks like he tried to sexually assault her. He was choking her. She had choke marks all over her neck. So he is a 26 year old Nicaraguan national who's here in the Cayman Islands in a work permit, working as a gardener slash maintenance man or something. Mm -mm -mm -mm. Wow. Unbelievable. So he will have his day in court. Um, I sent her some of these photos that I was able to obtain yesterday. And she said, oh, my God. She said, yes, that's him. She said, oh, my God, Miss Sandy, that's him. That's him. And I said, well, that's who they charged. She says, oh, my God. Sandra, this is the guy. My heart is beating so hard. How did you get all this information? In other words, how did I get all these party photos of him? I'm like, hmm. I said, well, I have my sources, Jill. She says, you're amazing. My mom uh, didn't know you, and she loves you so much. Um, listen, this man uh, is obviously very, very dangerous. He's not the kind of person that should be on the streets. So he'll have his day in court. We'll see what fancifulness his lawyers come up with, no doubt, to explain or try to claim that he's innocent of this. But my God, let's, uh, let's get rid of people like this in our community, especially we've got enough people in our own community, Caymanians, who would do something like this, but let's not import any of it.
All right, um, folks, uh, thank you so much for tuning in to the program today. A bit of a heavy conversation. My apologies. Some days are like that. But I saw, based on the numbers, that you guys stuck with it. Uh, regardless of that, these are necessary conversations that we have to have. So, oh, did I mention what his name was, by the way? Hold on. Let me give you his, his full name. His name is Rupert with an H. I'm guessing the H might be silent. So Rupert Hodgson Ingram. He appeared in summary court on Wednesday before Magistrate Gunn. Um, and he will be back on March the 1st. So we'll be there following this case and updating you guys um, as we progress. By the way, one final court update before we go. Another man who's now rightfully behind bars, but not for long, is uh, Joel Brown. So here's this fella. He has been um, sentenced now to uh, six months in jail for a vicious attack. Jason Brown, Jason Joel Brown, 28 years old. It's amazing that these guys are so young and yet have so much anger towards women. But um, he got a six-month sentence the other day. He actually got 20 months imprisonment with 10 months to be served immediately. My apologies, not six months. But he um, is... Um, in jail. He was remanded right away. And uh, maybe he'll have a little bit of time to think about his issues and hopefully get some help. So this was a guy that we reported on a number of occasions. He was captured in video in 2021, assaulting a woman that is known to him. The video didn't catch everything because apparently he had even dragged her with his vehicle. And remember I told you guys that quite ironically enough, he had refused to admit that um, he had done this, that he had dragged her with the car because that was like the more serious event. So quite interestingly enough, on the day of um, his sentencing, this was January 27th, he finally admitted that he had dragged her by the hair as he was driving his vehicle, um, which was quite interesting. So he had four counts against him. So um, some of the Sentences run concurrent. Um, so 10 of the 20 months will be suspended for two years for the offense of assault ABH, which was count one. Count two and three were both for reckless and negligent actions. And count two, for count two, he admitted pulling her hair and dragging her while driving his vehicle. So that was the one that initially when he had pled guilty the months before, he refused to admit to that one. Now, on the day of sentencing, he finally admitted to it. So maybe this is a good sign for him. Maybe um, Jason Joel Brown can now get himself some help. Um, so count three in relation to driving the vehicle at another man. He received four months concurrent for that one as well. One month concurrent was received for count four, which is damage to property for the destruction of the victim's mobile phone. And he was also instructed via um, instructed to pay a compensation order of $905 for a phone that was destroyed during the incident. So um, he has 12 months to pay that or after he comes out of jail or 90 days in default. So he's a real piece of work, child. 
Um, so I don't know. He, he works through his mom's construction company and, you know, he, he needs, he needs help. Um, funny enough, the last time we reported on him, he ran to the police to say that we were harassing him by reporting on him. What a hot mess, y'all. Can't make this stuff up. Damon says, don't most hotels have that? I guess a lawsuit is coming. Have what? Oh, the skid. But we, I mean, I don't know. We don't know where he fell. I mean, I don't know if you can prove that he fell at the hotel. Um, I guess logically the fall probably happened not long after he lay down. Um, so I suppose maybe it was at the hotel, but I don't know. That would be a very interesting evidential thing. And it's an accident. I don't think that, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that the hotel is negligent in any way. But you're right, Damien. Americans love to sue if they can. If they can find a reason to sue, they will. All right, folks, that brings you up to snuff and a couple little things. I tell you what, Monday's show is all about COVID. We have Dr. Um, Atula Newton, who will be joining the program on Monday. So please tune in with your COVID-related questions. She will be on starting at 7.45. Dr. Attila Newton, Cayman's Interim Chief Medical Officer, will be on the Cold Hard Truth this Monday, February the 14th at 7.45 a.m. Send us your COVID-related questions to tips at caymanmallroad.com or join us on the live stream on YouTube and Facebook. All right, folks. So I'm trying to get the phone line sorted out by then. It's not going to be the proper sorting out um, until we get some equipment, which should be an island around the 25th of the month. And so um, going into March is when the March the 1st, hopefully if all goes well, Tuesday, March the 1st will be our first launch date for um, being on Bobo uh, 89.1. And so um, we will get that kicked off. But uh, in the interim, Dr. Atula Newton is coming on Monday. So have all your COVID-related questions. We'll try to get everything answered. Why is Keyman moving in a particular direction? What are the numbers, the latest trends and numbers, say, um, the weekly report, all that kind of stuff. But if you have questions, uh, send them in in advance, and I'll make sure that we ask those of the good doctors. So again, tune in for that special show on Monday. All right, folks, got uh, at least three meetings booked today. I just saw somebody else messaging me for fourth meeting. Uh, we'll see. Um, you guys have an absolutely fabulous day. Uh, be safe. And um, remember, take care of your own mental health. Get uh, mental health assistance if you need it. Uh, we will continue to, again, Kevin is working on the series and whatever information I can get, I'll reach back out to the crisis center. Um, you know, I don't know if they do any advertising or whatever, but these are types of things that should be advertised and plastered all over the place because people need to know about what available sources, resources there are, and they need to know how to get the help. Remember that 1-800 song um, about suicide prevention that this guy did a song? They actually found that that song saved, literally saved lives because that song was like embedded in everybody's head. It was catchy and had a good tune, whatever. And so um, a lot of people were calling the suicide um, and the mental health prevention line because of a popular song. So folks, uh, get on top of your marketing game. People are not going to know you exist or what services you offer if you don't tell us. And so that's important. In any event, um, you guys have a wonderful um, day. Uh, oh, I've just been made aware of something. 
Uh, we might be doing a, a little live stream um, here in a little bit. I got to go get ready though and run out the door. Um, so tune back in a little bit. You'll like to see the little treat that we've got for you. Bye guys. Have a good one. Thank you for tuning in to another edition of the cold hard truth. Make sure to check Facebook for showtimes and more information and the latest news at caymanmarlroad.com. Subscribe to our IG and Facebook pages to get the latest happenings. 